First Kings chapter three. First Kings chapter three. Also, just quick passing and review our text that we always draw everything from is our scripture we've been using in Samuel, where you know, you know the story, without going into that further, without covering ground that we've recovered over and over again. Amen. I mean remember what the prophet Samuel told to Saul. He said, I'm going to tell you all this in your heart. The things that he didn't know was in his heart. So I think we've established that Ephesians 2.10, that you are his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus under good works, which he's foreordained that you should walk in before the world, what? Before the world was. That means it was pre-existing. God has a plan. We explained last week how that if you're not a believer and you're not born again, you'd only, you only have one destiny. Because destiny has to do with destination. That's the point of arrival, where you're going to arrive, where your end point is. If you're not born again and not found in Christ, you're found outside of Christ, you only have one destination. No matter what you live on this planet, what great accomplishments you make, you're going to end in the same place. You're going to end in separation from God. In the Bible, that talks about death, second death. Death in the Bible, spiritual death, is separation from God. It's not the secession of life. It's not the ending of your breath or being cut off from the land of the living. The Bible talks about death being separated from God. That's why the Bible says when Adam and Eve, when they fell in the garden, that they died. But we know that they went on to live physically for another 800 years and some longer. They almost lived a thousand years after they disobeyed God. So he wasn't talking about the secession of life or the ending of physical life. He was talking about spiritual life. They got cut off from their connection from the tree of life. As a matter of fact, God said he put an angel by the tree of life and guarded it and said to keep them out lest they should eat of the tree of life and continue perpetually in a living death cycle, completely separated from God. So he barred them from having eternal life in a state of corruption and eternal death or eternal dying. Does that make sense? So, spiritual death is a separation from God. It's interesting that when we die, man was never designed to die. Never designed to die. Death is a result of the curse. It's a separation. When you leave this earth, your spirit, your inner man is separated from your physical body. It's a separation. And if you have lived your life apart from the life of God then you are going, your afterlife is going to reflect what you've lived in this life. If you lived a life separated from God, you're going to live a life in separation from God in eternity. That's what eternal death. And so that when God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he loved it so much that the purpose of Jesus coming was that first he would be separated from the Father. He sent his word. The word in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word was made flesh. The word left heaven. I don't you understand something. Ne that had never happened before. As a matter of fact, the word was in the Father and not even the angels knew there was a difference. They wouldn't walk around referring to him as the word in heaven. The Bible says he was hidden in the bosom of the Father. And for the, for the sake of redemption, he released the all-powerful, all-creative Logos word and it became flesh. This was a form of death for God because he was separated from himself. He sent his word and then his word lived out a life upon this earth and he became subject to death. I mean, who, I mean, how, really, God is God. Who can slap God? Who can hurt God? Who can do anything to God? 
who can really who can really harm God that he has to forgive them? Not really. But when he took on flesh and became a man, he was slapped. He was rejected. He was harmed. He was put himself in a position to be afflicted. And then in that, he showed us how to overcome this affliction. He loved them that hated him. He blessed them that cursed him. He did good to those that despitefully used him. It's interesting so much so that when they beat him and they whooped him on that mountain, on that cal at Calvary, and they hung him up on that cross, the Bible says they beat him and his face was marked more than any man. He actually was beaten beyond recognition. His face was actually disfigured from the beating. They couldn't recognize who he was. And it's interesting that when the soldier wanted him to die, he stuck him in his heart. And you know the story, apart from the part about the Bible says blood and water came out the side. Can you imagine when he stuck him, seeing that even though he was doing this to Jesus, so much love was being projected from Jesus. He said, this must be the Son of God. He got a revelation from the love of Jesus even on the cross that he was extending love to those who were sticking him in his heart and trying to kill him. Nobody could do that to Jehovah God, but he had to come on flesh so he could be done that way, so he could show us the perfect example how to walk in love. You know, one of the things about Jesus is that he gave up his right to be right. And we have to learn how to give up our right to be right because, you know, we Americans, we don't take no stuff off nobody. <clears throat> That's how we think. But interestingly so, walking in love is not easy. The cross of the Christian is not sickness or death. The cross of the Christian, how many know I've told you before what it is, is to walk in love with unlovable people. There are some unlovable people that's mean, that have attributes that make it very difficult for you to get along. And there's some people who are easy to love. You remember that song, Jesus in me, love Jesus in you, you're easy. Easy to love, easy to love because Jesus is in you. But you can't sing it to everybody in church. You ought to say, I'm trying to find the Jesus in you. I can't see the Jesus in you. You're not easy. You know, that's how it be with some people. Some people are difficult to love. But Jesus showed us how to do it. And, and when he died, it was an illegal death because he had no sin. And so, therefore, when they killed him, they had no legal right to kill him. The wages of sin is death. But he had no sin. So when they killed him, they killed him illegally. And when Satan did this, the princes of this world, when Satan did this through the Roman government, which was the world power, the highest court of man in the world was the Roman government. When they did that, they broke a spiritual law. They operated illegally, and then the devil lost his legal right to wield the authority that he got legally from Adam because Adam gave it to him. He didn't steal it from Adam. Adam gave it to him. You know, So he lost that, and then Jesus experienced another separation. He left his physical body and he went into hell or the abode of the dead. And they call, they call all afterlife places hell, but hell has many different definitions. It's just translated hell in English, but it's different words that are translated as hell. He went into the abode of the dead. Well, he experienced another separation. And, you know, of course, when he got up from the grave, he said, all power in heaven and earth is in my hand, which, of course, means he didn't have all power in heaven and earth before. Because it wouldn't be nothing new if he did. He had all power that was in heaven. He didn't have all the power of earth because Satan had the power. He had the power of sin. But when Jesus broke sin, he broke the power of sin. Nobody no longer is going to hell for sin. They're going to hell because they're not a new creation. They're lost because they are not born again.
Because Jesus remedied sin, he paid the price for it. Either he destroyed it. The Bible says, Romans says he destroyed it. Either he destroyed it or he didn't destroy it. So we don't have a sin problem in the world. We have a sinner problem. We have people being born out of Adam, the old nature, and the old nature has the law of sin operating in it. But as far as the original sin that caused the curse, Jesus broke that. He, did, he eradicated it in his body. So now people have to be born again. You don't go to hell for sin. You go to hell for rejecting Jesus. The only way for you to get a brand new nature. Because this world is running out and going to be destroyed. And in order for you to get a stake in that new eternal land, you have to have a new nature. Else well, you're not going to be able to go there. So that's what the plan of salvation is about now. Is getting a new nature being born again. It's a form of death, a separation. So, you know... <clears throat> Make a long story short and, you know, just getting back to what we're talking about. Uh, that's why it's so important for us to understand what spiritual death was. And that when in our spirit man, in our hearts, when we are in Christ, when we're born again, or better term is born from above. Because you're born from another origin. When you are born again Christian, you're not of this world anymore. All you got to do is read John chapter 17. That's the new creation reality chapter where Jesus is talking to new creation. He said, you are not of this world. He said, but I'm not going to take you about this world. I'm going to leave you in this world. And he's talking about stuff he hadn't even accomplished yet. But in his mind, he'd already done it. He said, I've already overcome the world. He hadn't even died yet. He hadn't done anything. He said, but it's already done as far as I'm concerned. He said, I'm not going to take you out, but I'm going to leave you in here. But I'm going to pray that you have the relationship that I had with the Father before the world was. He said, for this is eternal life. The definition of eternal life, Jesus gives it to you in John 17. He said, for this is eternal life, that they might know you and your son whom you have sent. What must we do that we might work the works of God? Believe on him whom he has sent. All of it has to do with your connection with Jesus. How you perceive Jesus, how you, the revelation of how you know Jesus is in you. To what degree you allow that revelation and that truth to permeate your very being and every action that you make will be the degree of power that you have associated with it. That becomes the parameters of your authority. It becomes the jurisdiction of your faith. Amen. Jesus is a big giant room to walk in, but you've got to know that room. You've got to learn that room, to possess it, to walk in it. And we're trying. You know, sometimes God will give you a glimpse of how big that room is, but you still can't walk in it yet. We're, we're learning to walk in authority. We're learning who we are in Christ. We're, it's, it's going beyond a head knowledge assumption or ascent, mental ascent into heart knowledge where it's a revelation that we live by. Living, remember that, remember that, uh, that, uh, that, that, that series I did, Living by Revelation? Anybody remember that? You're living life by revelation, living by life constantly by living out of a revelation you have with God. So the Bible says, he says, and this is eternal life, John chapter 17. He said that they might know you and your son whom you sent. So eternal death is not knowing God and being separated, but eternal life is knowing God through Jesus Christ. Amen. So Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. That's like a craftsman, a skilled, a skilled artesian, someone that's been crafting. He said, he has handcrafted us in Jesus. He has handcrafted you and suited you for a specific purpose. Then in Romans 8, chapter 26, the Holy Spirit searches the hearts. And he knows what the mind of God is. And he knows our hearts. And he knows how to reconcile the plan of God with the right person for the right job. 
He knows how to find the right person. And even in our own difficulties where we struggle, he knows how to pray for us in ways that we don't know how to pray. When we don't know what to pray for as we ought to, he knows how to step in and enter into a session with the Godhead. And he begins to barter on our behalf for an exchange from heaven from what we're, to exchange what our situation is with what his situation is. In other words, exchanging our situation for his position. And what's his position? In heavenly places, far above principalities and powers. He gives you a far above positioning. So the purpose of Christianity is to walk in the earth while we're experiencing a position from heaven. We're looking from a seedy position, seeing things as God sees things, seeing things through the revelation that comes through Jesus Christ. So that's what this new life is about. But, you know, you got a difficulty because he didn't, your mind ain't been, you know, I say, I know I'm not supposed to say ain't, your mind hasn't been born again. Your soul has not been saved. We sing a song, he saved my soul, but he did not save your soul. He saved your spirit. He saved your inner man. He caused your spirit to be regened, regenerated into the image of the spirit of Christ. But he didn't do nothing for your mind. He said in Romans, was it 12? He said, I beseech you by what? The mercies of God. Did you do what? Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is what? Your reasonable service. Then he says what? Don't be conformed. Don't take on the shape of this world, but be transformed. By doing what? By renewing your soul. Getting your soul back. You, gotta, you, you know, I ain't talking about getting from funk classes and learning how to dance, get your soul back. I'm talking about get your mind in Christ. For the Bible says you already have the mind of Christ. But it has to, that, the Christ consciousness has to be awakened by the feeding on epinosis. I mean, remember that series on epinosis we did? Boy, y'all got some going back over to do. The epinosis that Paul said in Colossians, he says, and the inner man, the Greek says, his, the inner man's capacity is expanded by him receiving epinosis or revelation. No, you live by feeding off of revelation, not self-help, not positive affirmations. But you got to hear the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelations chapter 1 says in... He said, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to his son, and he in turn gave to his servant. So the revelation of Jesus Christ is bigger than the existence of mankind. It predates and preexists the existence of mankind. This is a revelation. See, a revelation to you is something you perceive in your mind, in your soul, in your spirit, and it's internal, but it's, un but it's not tangible. It's intangible. It's perceptible, but not tangible. But in God, who is all spirit, it's tangible. It's just as real as your flesh is or anything in reality is. So when he gives you a re revelation, he's giving you a reality. And that reality has to play out in you that it can be released in this reality. So you can experience the new creation reality. Does that make any sense? So... You are his workmanship created in Christ. When you're in Christ, your destiny changes. When you're not in Christ, one destiny. The end of it is death. Everybody's going to the junk heap, to the garbage pile, to be incinerated as junk. Because you, you why? Because you can't live in this next phase that God's going to take creation. You can't, you can't exist there. Just can't go. You know, if, if, if heaven was an underwater planet, and you don't have gills, you can't exist there, could you? Because you don't have the nature that's consistent with that environment. 
It's the same way in heaven. There's some people that think they're going to heaven, but their nature don't match heaven. You can't do the lying and stealing and fornicating you do down here. You can't do it. You can't do it. The, the, the hate you want to carry, the unfeel, that's not consistent with the, per, with, with the reality of heaven. You've got to be changed. You've got to be bone. This old folk got to be bone. Got to be bone again. I've been bone again. Bone. I know I've been bone again. Y'all know them stuff. <laughs> I know I've been bone. <laughs> I wonder did they really know what that meant when they were singing that song. To have a new nature. And in the new nature in Christ, the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It has been hidden from ages and generations, and only now has it been revealed by Jesus what the hope of glory is. What does glory hope for? You know, we talked about what hope the last couple of weeks. You remember we talked about hope? How hope is God's outcome, God's version of the future. God's outcome. Because see, hope is no good if it's only by us. Because we are fallible and finite. God's hope, God's picture of success for your future is what you hope for. Faith is the substance of things that are birthed or originated by God's original design for you and intention in the first place. I mean, you really can't believe for a miracle if you didn't think it was God's intention to bless you. You really can't believe that there's a healing for you if you didn't believe it was God's original intention to be good to you. So that's your hope. That hope is based upon God's outcome. God's version of the future for you. What's the hope of glory? What is glory's version of the future outcome? Christ in you. Here's what, here's what glory hopes for, because glory is all that, the word glory is doxa. Is this good so far? Doxa is all that, D-O-X-A is the Greek word for glory. It means all that God has and all that God is. It means basically the stuff that God's made of. If God has a body like yours, God's body's made of doxa, made of flesh. And it's quantum. What I mean by quantum is the smallest part of it is equal to the whole. There's no differentiation between it. If you got a piece of Jesus, you got all of Jesus. Because the smallest part is, is, is just as powerful as complete, the complete whole. That's why he tells you, as, as, as he is, so are you in this world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. See, that's all quantum mechanics on a spiritual level. Does that make sense? So, the glory of God, the glory, God's glory is to do what? Christ in you. To see Christ in you manifested. The Bible says the spirit of God lusteth to envy. What does that mean? It means he has placed something in you and he desires to bring it out of you. The hope of glory, Christ in you. So glory is hoping for the day that Christ is going to be revealed in the earth. And it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 25, it says the whole creation is groaning and travailing. Waiting for what? The revelation, the manifestation of the sons of God. For he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. All of creation is waiting for that day when the sons of God are going to begin to be manifested in the earth. And begin to walk in that Christ consciousness. 
being one with he that's joined with the Lord is one spirit. And as many as received him, he gave them power to become him. You got to make, you got to draw, you got to do the logic, you got to do the math. Because that's what it's really saying. For as many as received him, he gave them power to be him. And the works that I do, for I go to my father, but you're going to be here. But greater than these shall you do. Because it's going to be so many of you all doing all kinds of things out here. As long as you see yourself separate from Jesus, you don't get it. As long as you see Jesus as somebody you got to call on to bring here, you don't get it yet. As long as you see yourself apart from Jesus, needing Jesus, you don't get it yet. You're still struggling with a concept of separation from God. But this is eternal life, that they might know you and your son whom you have sent, being one with Jesus, operating not separate, but in conjunction as he is, so are we in this world. It don't get any... You see, religion and what is so-called Christianity, Western Christianity, has robbed the church of that to make you feel like you're just an old sinner saved by grace and you're just trying to make it in and hopefully one day you're going to land on the other side of glory and I ain't perfect and I know I ain't right. As long as you think that, you are going to acquiesce to what you believe. You'll never be able to walk in forgiveness with people that hate you. You'll never be able to bless those that curse you. You'll never be able to discern what is in the inner heart that you don't know about. The inner destiny, the path that God has written inside of you that you don't know, that Saul didn't know, that prophecy had to reveal the secrets of the hearts of men. Because we learn what prophecy is. Prophecy is the revelation of the secrets of the heart. Not only is it a revelation of the secret of heart, your heart, it is the re- first of all, it is the revelation of the secrets of the heart of God concerning you. And then it also exposes the secrets that are in your heart to you. And the Bible says that's when you know God is dealing with you when God starts exposing your heart to you. Well, let's get to Solomon. You there? Solomon was also known as Jedidiah. That was his Hebrew name. It meant beloved of the Lord. Solomon is the third and last king of the... He's the third king of Israel, but he's the last king of a united Israel. That means Judah and Israel united under David. And he gave it to him. But after him, the kingdom split from the northern and southern kingdoms of Judah and Israel under two different kings. Are you listening? Following after King Saul and King David, he was the son of David and Bathsheba. He had a 40-year reign, and he was regarded as Israel's golden age. Solomon wrote songs, and he wrote the book of well, they debate whether it's debated whether he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Different ones have their reasons of authorship that contested sometime, but More than likely, we believe he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he wrote many of the Proverbs. He didn't write all the Proverbs. Some of the other kings wrote some of the Proverbs, but he wrote the Song of Solomon. That's the one all the, you know, carnal saints like the book of songs. I'm just teaching. They want to, you know, put roses in their teeth and read Song of Solomon. You know, they they get their Boaz and Ruth meditation going, Esther one night with the king and pull out Song of Solomon, you know. (laughs) But... Solomon stands as a proverb himself, a proverb of how somebody can start out so right with everything given to them and wind up so wrong. At the end, he started out right, God gave him, but at the end of his reign, he had introduced pagan worship to Israel. At the end, introduced 
worship of other false gods, and he gave himself over to immorality and sexual uncleanness. Amen. When he ascended the throne, the Bible says he sought after the Lord, and God gave him an opportunity that he had never given any other king of Israel. The Bible says that God showed up in a dream and said, Ask whatever you want, and I'm going to give it to you. See, God is always testing us. Not because he doesn't know what's in us, because he wants you to know what's in you. Right. And sometimes you have to be, you know what, you sometimes don't know what's in you till you've been presented with an opportunity. You can talk all the big talk and hick him and shine die and fall out on the floor, but when somebody offers you the right thing, we're going to know what's in you. Don't tell nobody that, oh, I would never be tempted. Yo, the, some, the devil's got your number. The Bible says, let him that thinks that he can't fall, he better take heed. You're the very one that's going to fail because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And this is ironic that Saul, but Solomon was the one that was teaching it, and it was the very thing that got it. Any of the ones that know better are always in trouble. Know better. That's what makes you feel bad because you know better. You keep falling for the same trick the devil keeps pulling. It's like, I know this game. Yes, you do. And, you, and the, you, know, you know what? Sometimes the devil just falls on the floor back behind the counter, passing out laughing. He just can't help himself because you keep falling for the same thing over and over again. Don't need no new trick. Don't need a new revelation. Don't need a new form of witchcraft. He just had the same old trick. He put the three-card money. Which one is it under? That one. You so stupid. <laughs> Keep take stand there and take your money all day long. You gotta get get a get a get a big somebody forget a hitchhike to get home and took all your money. <laughs> First Kings three and four. And when the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Verse number six. Well, uh, well, he goes on to say that he made these sacrifices to God, and in that night the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And said, ask me whatever you want, and I'm going to give it to you, Solomon. And Solomon did something that showed a great degree of character and wisdom. Somebody shut that door. A great degree of character. Not that one. The front one up here. A great degree of character and wisdom. He said when he could ask for all the money and all the power and all the women and everything else he could ask for, he said, Lord, I'm but a little child. That's what the words he said. I'm but a little child, and I don't know how to do nothing. I need to know how to go in and in and out before your people. First Kings three and three. Solomon loved the Lord, and walking in the statutes of David his father, he only only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Then it says in verse number five, God appeared to him a dream at night and said, "Ask what I shall give you." In verse number six, Solomon said, "You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father." This is in a dream. God pulled him up out of his body into one of his, his, his altered states, his holographic states, and pulled him up in the spiritual realm and began to have a conversation. And, and I, I don't know about you, but when I'm having dreams, I ain't got no, I don't, I'm not, I don't know what I'm talking about at halftime. I'm like, I'm like, why did I say that in a dream? You know, you got no control. But it's like Solomon is like right in the dream, control, eloquent. He says, you have shown great state, steadfast love to your Savior, servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you, and you have kept for him a great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, verse number 7, you have made your servant king in the place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. 
I do not know how to go in and out among God's people. It's a great wisdom to know how to come in and how to enter. Some people don't know how to get, don't know how to come right and don't know how to leave right. Are you listening? Jesus says when you go into a place of honor, don't walk up to the high seat. Don't take the high position. Take the low position. He said always take the humble position. He says because if you take the high position, somebody who is more honored than you is going to come in. And then they're, gonna, they're not going to make the other guy go. They're going to make you move in front of everybody. And you're going to be coming down with your finger up, walking down, embarrassed. And everybody's going to know that you will want to be. Everybody's going to know that you're trying to be. And you're not a one. <laughs> and everybody's going to assume that you're trying to be a big shot, but little shot keep holding you back. <laughs> and Jesus said, don't do that. He said, but he says, when you sit at the table, put a knife to your throat. This is what Jesus says. You don't sit there and, you know, wait till you get home to gorge out. Don't give yourself away that you're so needy and so desperate and so hungry in front of people. Don't reveal yourself. Or you don't know who you're sitting with. You don't know who's watching you. Use wisdom how to go in and out. People are sizing you up all the time. And you don't need to, you don't need to keep giving your position away all the time, wearing your feelings on your sleeve, hurting and crying, breaking down. Stop it. <laughs> First Samuel fifteen seventeen. this is a powerful statement here. This is Samuel talking to Saul. Now, of course, you know, Saul didn't listen to Samuel, but he says, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Do you know success is hard for people? You don't really know people until you see them in success. A lot of times we mistake low self-esteem for humility. <clears throat> we got some people that just walk around and say, they're so sweet, they're so humble. How you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Can I get a ride home after church? You, you can, can I borrow a dollar for some coffee? I don't have, you know, we, oh, they're so sweet. They're so humble. God bless their heart. But we think they're humble. They just down. They just don't have nothing. They, they have no choice. They ain't too proud to beg. They'd rather, you know, the Lord said, now, now the, the Lord said in Scripture, if I had a need, I wouldn't tell you. If I had an issue, you'd never know about it. If I wanted something, I wouldn't tell you. But just some people, you know, they don't mind telling you, I ain't got, you know, get the white amount of, white around their mouth, get the white, you know, and they'll just start, you know, put the beg on. You know, there's some people that you don't even want to answer their phone call because you know it's going to be a beg. It's going to be a touch, a sponge bath touch before you get anywhere. And they'll take stuff from you. Amen. And, I, and if you need help, it's nothing wrong with asking for help. I'm talking about people who are in a perpetual state because they never progress any further. You know, uh, hitting up for people. But, you see, <laughs> he said when you were small in your own eyes. Being small in your own eyes means that you don't think you're a big shot. You don't think you're overly important. Now, here's the thing. It's one thing to think. You don't think you're better than anybody else. You just don't think nobody else is better than you. That's a better place to be. You know, you think that if they can do it, I can probably, with the help of the Lord, I can do it too. I can do all things through Christ that strengthen me. That's the humility we're supposed to have. But some people, they're not really small in their eyes. They're really big in their eyes, but they can't flex their muscles. 
They're in a tight spot and they can't stretch out. They really think they're the hottest thing going. And, and, and see, why they're hurting, why they're, why, why they're sorrowful, it's not because they're just so humble. It's because really it's pride. Because, see, they really wish you thought of them the way that they think of themselves, but you don't do that. So it hurts that you don't see me as your superior. You don't see me as smarter than you and better than you and prettier than you and better and all. You don't see me. So it hurts their feelings because they really think more highly of themselves than they ought to. They got a case of the Mohileys. He's suffering from Mohile. He thinks more highly of himself than he ought to. And so this insecurity, this low self-esteem, and this pain and the sorrow because no one sees that I'm a star. And so they close the door in their room and they're a star all alone in their room. That's not humility. That's insecurity. That's, that's uh, low self-esteem. Humility is the exact opposite. Humility says, without him I can do nothing. Can't do it without him. Can't prophesy without the Holy Ghost. Can't pray right without the Holy Ghost. Can't dance right without till the Holy Ghost. The old song says, I can't dance right till the Holy Ghost comes. Lord, let your Holy Ghost come on down. Can't pray right. You start trying to pray and just don't get right till the anointing comes upon you. Can't pray right. Can't, can't love right till the Holy Ghost comes. Can't do, can't do right. See, humility says, apart from you, I can do nothing. But with you, I can do all things. That's why he said, don't tell nobody what you're going to do tomorrow. Say, the Lord willing, I'll come. Because you don't have no power. Stop talking about what you're going to do. So you start talking about all this, I'm going to do. You are not, you in the flesh. You're leaning on the arm of the flesh because all it takes is one good bout of whooping cough and you're not going nowhere. <laughs> Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. What we learn from the greatest thing about Solomon is that he started out in humility, but what went wrong with him? How did he go so far off the, off the path? Samuel told Saul he was a big dumb hillbilly. And God made you the king of all of Israel. <laughs> and now you smell yourself. Now you think you can do what you want to do. And you get ready to have the kingdom taken from you and given to somebody else that's even dumber than you. <laughs> somebody else from a lower station in life. He's a shepherd. I'm going to give it to a shepherd. You as a donkey man, I'm going to give it to a sheep man. I'm going to show you. I'm going to take somebody who you think is lower than you and beat you at your own game. Isn't that something? When you're small in your own eyes, when you know that you can't do it without God and you're depending and leaning on the Lord. Always my prayer before I preach and did anything was, Lord, I'll fall flat on my face if you're not with me tonight. A lot of times I don't want to be in a lot of singing. Well, he ain't spiritual. These preachers don't come in. I don't want to be in because I don't want my spirit carried all, all the place. I want to be focused on how much I need the Lord. And I'm depending on the Lord. I'm depending. Lord, if you don't be with me tonight. I, I never forget when I would go out to preach. <clears throat> and I would be at these church services. And I was always younger than everybody. I was like 21, 22, 23, 24 preaching in these churches. And God would open these doors for me because of the ministry and because of the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. It was being known and people would have you come in. You had a prayer ministry, praying for the sick. Miracles would happen. And I would just sit there and people would be all this expectancy. The man of God. I'm like, oh, God, it's expectancy. What if I, God doesn't show up tonight? What if God don't do it tonight? 
I don't, have, I don't have a pocket full of God. I can pull out God whenever I want to. I don't have control over him. And my prayer would be, Father, tonight, I'll fall flat on my face if you're not with me. If you don't hold me up tonight, there's no point. I don't, I don't want to preach. I don't want to preach so badly. I don't want to be up in front of the people so badly that I can go without you. As a matter of fact, if you're not going to meet me and be with me, I'd rather sit down. I'll just tell this preacher right now that I'm not going to preach tonight. Because I need you to be with me tonight. <laughs> and, you know, we had a little thing between me and him where he would let me know I'm with you. It would hit me from the top of my head like electricity would go from the top all the way down on my toes and come back up. And he'd say, I'm with you. And I mean, from that moment on, pow, 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 pow. Didn't always happen that way. Sometimes I went out there and it wasn't working like that. I was put in a spot. You know, you let people talk you into doing stuff and people put you in places and you want to be nice. And Well, I'll go ahead and do it. Yeah. And God didn't really, you really probably wasn't all, you didn't really, you didn't really have the plan from God, you know, <laughs> the way you should have. You're just winging it along. I remember I preached this message one night, boy, in this little town. Church was packed full of people, and I was dying to death. I had never, I had never died in my life. I mean, there's never been a time where I didn't at least get, get away with a little bit of something. I was able to pull it out, even at the end. I mean, it wasn't always, but this, I was feeling like I was drowning. And I was like, I'm, every word was going out and hitting the floor. And it was hot summer. They was all there fan, and it was one of them kind of services. Everybody was looking sleepy, and I'm like, I said, I better start raising my voice. I better get a tune-up. And it, it didn't matter the organ. They were sitting there like this. You know it's bad when their head go like that and come back. But people start doing it. I was like, oh, Lord, Jesus. You know, it's like a bad haircut. You know how a bad haircut is? You feel like you didn't cut on it so much, you better stop for it because it just keeps getting worse. Well, I better stop because if I keep on cutting, it's going to be a mess. It's bad. You know, you can put a hair. You can, you can take it off, but you can't put it on. That's why you're supposed to start light with stuff. You ain't supposed to just go in hard because you can't put it back on there. <laughs> It was like a bad haircut. I was like, boy, I think I better stop because I keep on trying to cut on this thing. It just keep getting worse and worse, and they're getting sleepier and sleepier. And I'm sitting here like, I, and, and it's starting to react. I'm starting to see this. You know, I know some preachers don't matter. They just see, they don't see nothing. It's going, just, they ain't paying attention to nobody, but that's when you're just preaching at people. When you're preaching to people, it's a connection. And as soon as I got through, I said, well, I think I'm on close. I think that's, I was like, I, I was like yeah, that's, uh, that's all I can do to that. I'm going like, to go ahead and let that go. I'm going to go ahead. Does anybody in here need prayer tonight? Probably not. You don't need them. But after that, I don't think anybody wants prayer tonight, do you? <laughs> and I, they were sitting there. I mean, maybe it was in my mind, but I thought I heard the crickets. Like, I mean. So I stepped down off the platform. I said, I'm going to come down and step down here. And if anybody would like me just to pray for you before I close and go into crawling my hole in shame, <laughs> of my hole of failure tonight, I'm going to let you. And, uh, you know, and as soon as I stepped down the platform, it's like he came on me. So I was like, whoa, I was like, I feel the Holy Ghost. And I almost couldn't talk because tongues was going to roll out. And I said, I said, Lord, why did you? I said, what? <laughs> what, what the hey <laughs> you let me I was dying up there why wasn't you with me he said because I didn't tell you to preach tonight you wanted to preach tonight your message that you planned I didn't tell you to do that I've been down here waiting for you to get down here well I don't have time to have a discussion with the Lord at that time this is an altar call and people just started coming up and I mean and that night 
we had so many miracles. I mean, the power of God hit that road where the whole church just went under the power, just like dominoes. They were on like dead bodies. There wasn't no courtesy drop. They was on top of each other, just flopping like fish. And I mean, the power of God with miracles. I mean, just just all kind of stuff was happening to people. Even the little five and six year olds were speaking in tongues and drunk. I mean, the God hit the kids. We couldn't even dismiss service. I mean, it was like service was dismissed with focus up under the pews, feet out his way, upside down in chairs, something. Oh, like it was like a hurricane. But you got to obey the Holy Ghost. It's not your service. It's what he wants to do. You, you're not, you, you can't get ahead of yourself and get full of yourself. Stay small in your own eyes. I hope you like that little story at my own expense. Don't you tell anybody that story. I always preach good. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> the wisdom of Solomon was known throughout the world as a story of two prostitutes and they came to him and they stood before him. A woman said, Oh Lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I gave birth to a child and she was in the house and the third day I gave birth, this woman gave birth also. And basically the long story is, this woman has taken my child. It's my child. And she says, No, it's my child. No, it's mine. And they're fighting and the king who Wisdom, he says, I know what to do. Get me a sword. He brought him a sword. He said, I'm going to cut this child in half, and you can have half, and they can have half. And the other woman said, good, then just do that. Do that then. And the other woman said, no, 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 oh, God, no. No, no, don't, don't, don't hurt the baby. Give the baby to her and let her have the child. And Solomon said, that's the mother. Give her the baby. See, the wisdom of Solomon was like Occam's razor. <laughs> the wisdom of Solomon was so brilliant that even if the birth mother was stupid enough to want to kill her baby, the one that should raise the child is the one that would not want to see it torn in half. So it didn't matter who the birth mother was. The wisdom cut through. Because everybody that's your daddy is not your father. Everybody that's your mama is not your mother. A whole lot of people are just, you just that's just, the, just the, the, the sperm bank you rolled in on. That's all. That, that's the sperm donor, not a real father to you. Amen. But the wisdom, discerning. You know, anytime, it's so wise when you got people that want to, when you got people that want, that they want to tear something up and they'd rather see it split in half, you know they're the ones that shouldn't have it. <laughs> that's the wisdom of Solomon right there. People splitting churches like that. Anyway. I ain't going to go there. <laughs> then it says another story. This is Solomon now. After he got this wisdom how to go in and out. It says in Solomon 1 Kings 10 and 1. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. She came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with great retinue of camels and, and bearing spices and much gold and precious stone. And the Bible says that she could not believe the wisdom. That every question she asked him, Solomon was right. God had given him wisdom. When he asked God to give me the wisdom, give me, teach me how to go in and out. Show me how to carry myself in integrity and how to show myself in wisdom. And God said, I'm not only going to give because you've asked for that. I'm going to give you riches and I'm going to give you wisdom. God was testing him, and he answered right. He humbled himself before the Lord, and the Lord gave him everything that he asked for and more than what he didn't. And one of those things was wisdom and his wisdom. Do you know that the Bible says that Solomon gave 3,000 proverbs? 1 Kings 4.32 says he spoke 3,000 proverbs and over 1,005 1, songs. See, wisdom makes you get poetical. He started 
given all these proverbs and wisdom and all these wise things. And it was heard all over the world that he had wisdom. And so Queen of Sheba wanted to come see. And the Bible says when she came and saw the house of the Lord, how it was done in such excellence. See, I want you to understand something about it. God is a God of excellence, and he likes excellence. What's wrong with some people is they lack excellence. Excellence is when you go above and beyond to make the best presentation that you can make for something. It's not a good enough presentation. Somebody turn it over to you, it's going to be clean from top to bottom. It's going to be done right. That's excellent. God is a God of excellence. And the Bible says when she saw the excellence of how he, uh, the way he would walk up to court and go up through the, uh, walk to the staircase and go into the house of the Lord, the Bible says it took her breath away. The Bible says she was breathless. It took her breath away when she saw. See, when people come into the house of the Lord, they should see excellence, not so much of what we building we in, but the excellence among the people of how people go the extra mile to do it as unto the Lord. Who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for the pastor? Are you doing it for your friends? Are you doing it for yourself? Oh, are you doing it as unto the Lord? When you do it as unto the Lord, you do it with the spirit of excellence. Guess what? There are people that are looking to have their breath taken from them, to come in the house of the Lord and just say, Woo, this is what I've been looking for. People that love like this, that act like like this, they treat like this. People that have excellence in what they do. God can't bless mess. God wants you to give your best. Do you not know even a job that you work on that you hate? But if it's paying bills, you better do it in excellence. God expects his people to come early and leave later. God expects his people to be the best working people out there. You know, I can tell you story after story of when, even in the, there, was a, there was a brother I was telling you about it over in a foreign country, I think it was in Russia, where it was so hard on Christians and giving them a hard time, but they had these working country. It was work was scarce. It was hard to find a job. People needed jobs badly, and there was a lot of men that were working, but they were drunks because they were depressed all the time because of the economy, drunks and dope addicts and always messing around with women and laying up and can't come to work and they found out that the Christian men, the Holy Ghost filled men weren't drinking, weren't smoking was going home to their wives would show up for work and this man found out I don't care what y'all say about these Christians, I want to hire any more bring them down here and the buy and listen, he said they hired all Christian men because they did it with excellence they was at work before time they wouldn't taking breaks every five minutes. They would come there and work a full day because they did it as unto the Lord and not unto that man. Excellence will call you to be elevated. You know what I'm saying? Something? You can get a degree all you want to, but if you don't have excellence, you're not getting hired. Let me tell you something. Poor people don't hire nobody. You can get mad at folks that got money all you want to, getting mad at rich folks all you want to. Poor people ain't creating jobs. You're going to go work. If, until you can have your own company, you're going to have to work for somebody else. And this, I'm going to tell you what. Do you want to know the secret the big boss is looking for? You want to know to get your promotion? When he can turn something over to you and you're going to solve a problem so he can go to the golf course. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get out to the golf course and he's trying to find somebody who can take this job over. I'm going to leave it with you and I know it's going to get done right. No shucking and no jiving. And I'm on the court. I'm out here with my friends making deals. Influencing people and making friends. <laughs> but when you can't bring help to nobody, they're not going to promote you. They're not going to take you higher when you're the one complaining and all got a problem. And, uh, they're not going to promote you. They're looking for a way to get rid of you. 
and you in there walking with your Bible, King James Bible on your desk, praise the Lord, instead of you answering the phone like you're a business player, praise the Lord. Uh-huh, I take Jesus everywhere I go, everywhere I be. Uh, Jesus is mine. Uh-huh, yes, uh, yes, this is the right company. Uh, what can I do for you? Uh, well, uh, thank you. Uh, hold on. No, we don't got no more greens. You know, whatever you want to tell, attitude. You want you pay to do it down. Don't get mad. Go get an education or get something else. Increase your skill level and your level of performance and get up out of there. But if you dare, do it with all your might. And do it as unto the Lord. And bless them that curse you. And love them that hate you. And do good to them that despitefully use you. This is what God is going to bless you even when you're in a place that you don't want to be in. You ain't going to be in there the rest of your life. Are you listening? I tell you, most Christians don't look at their boss as Jesus. They don't go and look at that boss and it is causing all kind of problems, having, uh, having strokes every time he walks through the door. You got some hard bosses that get on your nerves. It's hard to see them as Jesus. <laughs> but the Bible says you better see him as Jesus and do what you do as unto the Lord and look for the Lord to reward you. What you do in secret to reward you openly. See, it takes some faith to work with some hateful people. It takes some faith to work with some ungrateful people. It takes some faith to work with people. They know you're a Christian, so they don't give you a hard time and make you do the worst job. But I tell you, if you take the right attitude, God's anointing will come upon you. God's breathless anointing. God's anointing that takes the breath away. He'll cause, he'll, he'll, he'll beautify the meat with holiness. Come on. He'll go before you and give you favor. He'll make your project shine more than their project. But see, you got to get into excellence. Solomon had excellence. He spared no expense with the temple. Are you listening? Well, here comes the problem with Solomon, though. Solomon ended up having 700 wives and 300. He was a wise man, but what happened? Everybody ought to know you can't have that many women in one house. And you're the only husband. You must be out your mind. You got to be crazy. 1 Kings 11 and 1 through 8. I'm almost done. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, the Moabite, the Ammonite, the Edomite, the Sidonian, and the Hittite women. <clears throat> From the nations concerning the Lord, which he said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away your heart to their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father did. Then Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. He was corrupted by what is called sex craft. The Bible says, Proverbs says, the adulterer destroys his own soul. There's something about the joining of your flesh with something that is not in agreement with God. 
Solomon had wisdom. He knew what he look, you couldn't tell him what it did. He knew he'd tell you what it did. Isn't that how it is, though? We can tell folk how to get delivered and we bound. Hey, oh, no, see what you got to do? You got to take authority over that demon and can't say it with your mouth. Now cough. <laughs> Come on, tell it. And we tell him and, and, and you don't even know how to get delivered yourself. Or you don't really want to be delivered. The Bible says, you know, do you know there's only 365 days in a year? He had a different woman for two and a half years. He didn't have to look at the same woman a night. That's some, that's some carrying on right there. I don't know what he was on, herbs or elixirs, but he was doing something. And they were all worshiping foreign gods. And see, what you don't understand about in ancient cultures is much of their worship was enthralled with sexuality. Even when they would have any type of, it was, it was a form of a, a, a act of worship. They would bring their idols in there. And because to many people in ancient cultures, sexuality was the way birthing came, babies came, life came. So they saw this as divine. Procreation and the gods and the goddesses. That's why all their gods, they worship male and female gods who had husbands and wives. And that's why in ancient Israel, many times when Israel was into idolatry, they would have a thing that represented Yahweh, but then they would have another goddess near Yahweh. Much of ancient Israel tried to give consorts or wives to Yahweh. It took Israel years to root out idolatry out of the people. It's something about idolatry that will corrupt wisdom. You see, Lucifer, Satan, Lucifer was perfect in beauty, perfect in wisdom. He knew the secret of the Adam. He knew how God created everything and his much of his wisdom. See, you get to the point where can't nobody tell you nothing. You, they start a sentence and you finish it. You know it all. There's no challenge anymore. Boredom sets in. When boredom comes in, it's, it's, you want some excitement. Head out on a looking for adventure. Mm. Head out on the highway. Mm. Remember that song? You start looking, searching, because you're bored. Solomon said, much learning and study is weariness to the mind. He, you read the book of Solomon. He starts, you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he starts telling you. He says, be not overly righteous. Why should you destroy yourself? He said, you can get too deep in anything and try to live up to a standard that you can't live up to. He says, relax yourself and calm down. Solomon learned all this stuff because he got in trouble. All these women turned his heart from God, and the Bible says, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. God don't just be appearing to everybody. He appeared to him two times, and he commanded him concerning these things, that he should not go after other gods, but to keep, the, keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord came to him again and said, This has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant, nor my statutes that I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. For the sake of David your father, I will do it. I will not do it in your day, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give, give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Even in this, God is merciful. Even in this, God is having mercy on him. But he said, because you've allowed yourself to mingle sexually. You know, when you give yourself sexually to somebody, Unless you're being raped, you're giving yourself over to something. You see, and sexuality is a type of an altar. 
You know, the word alter, do you know what the word alter means? It's the same part of the word alteration. Do you ever like some clothes that don't fit you? You have to go take them and get them. They call them alterations. At the altar is where you make alterations at. It's where you make changes at. It's where things, you get, you get dressed up and fitted for something. See, the question is, what altar are you joining yourself to? See, what altar are you bowing down? Well, I don't bow down to sex. Anything that you crave and give yourself over to, you're worshiping it. Worship means worth-ship. It means you place a higher value on this than that. Oh, it don't hurt. It ain't going to hurt nobody. Oh, it hurts. What oh, hurts? It doesn't because you are altering yourself every time you bow down to it. They even say that now pornography has so ruined young men in this country that they can't even uh, work with women barely. Because as they watch porn, the images are so graphic, it's so unrealistic, because most women ain't doing all that. It's not going on like that. Some do, but most of them ain't. And it gives you, it gives these men these unfair, unbelievable expectations, and a woman just can't live up to that. So they get hooked on the TV or whatever they're watching. And psychologists say that as they watch it, it actually rewires their brain for pleasure of how they get stimulated. They can't get stimulated with a woman no more. They can get stimulated only with the imagery of it. Because the imagery of it is more fulfilling of a woman that don't say no in anything you want. Because real women got to talk to them and got to negotiate. <laughs> got to bargain. <laughs> That don't happen in a pornographic situation. It's unrealistic. And you raise the bar, you raise the threshold of pleasure mentally and soulishly that it can't be reached humanly. It ain't bothering me. It ain't hurting me. Why can't you this? It's altering you. It's altering your system. See, when you have... Can I say this? You all grown people understand why people can't stop having sex. It's addictive because dopamine is released. And in other words, it's called a reward. And when reward gets rewired in your brain, are you listening to me? It trumps responsibility. Because if I got to go to work or I got I to gotta work hard to get something, don't no dopamine come when you get a, it don't happen when you get a check. Well, they better pay me for what all I did this week. My check better not be late, but oh, ice cream, dopamine, candy, sweets, dopamine. See, pleasure, dopamine. It hits the reward center. And Solomon had rewired what excited him. What used to excite him was God. What used to excite him was wisdom, knowing God's mind. What used to excite him, his mind was wired for praise. It was wired for excellence. But the more he subjugated himself to the flesh at the altar of idolatry and sexcraft and ultimately a form of witchcraft, it began to alter his pleasure centers and he was now being gratified by that which God called an abomination. And it wasn't long before he started acting out 
in his everyday life. Because see, what was rewiring here was changing here. What was changing here was changing outside. And it wasn't long before he was going out and putting up altars to these false gods. And oh, See, it didn't just stay inside his head. It had to come out of him. See, that's why the devil spends all his time warring against your mind. Warring against your thoughts. Because if you don't cast that thought down, the moment it comes in, he knows it's in there. He knows it's in there. That's why the Bible said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, imaginations, and high things. An imagination is a system of thoughts that is contrary to what God says. God's trying to, He's not trying to keep you from having a good time. He's trying to protect you. He's trying to keep you from spreading yourself out over all these people. Over all these altars. Don't you know sex is so powerful it can create a human life? Are you listening? You're not supposed to release all that passion and emotion on something that's wicked. Because you join to that. And it begins to alter you. I know folks that started out safe. Holy Ghost saw they wouldn't do nothing but a little compromising along the way. It wasn't long before they developed a lifestyle of, you know, I'm going to try not to, but if it happens, and the devil's going to make sure it keeps on happening. Because, see, while you're waiting on God for Boaz, here come Tyrone. Here come somebody else. He ain't what you want, but he'll do me till I get what I want. He ain't Mr. Right, but Mr. Right now. Or she, or she ain't Mrs. Right, but Miss Right now. And you'll compromise a little bit here and there. Because, you know, it's hard to be lonely. I got a lot of love to give. This is going to waste. Yeah, baby girl, baby girl. I'm going to prophesy the Lord show me you got a lot of love to give. Yeah. <laughs> I got, yeah. Ain't going to hurt nobody. Lord, understand. Got to have love in your life. <laughs> That's what the Lord came to do. Give you some love and some life. Ain't what the Lord? Ain't the Lord all right? Ha ha ha! Yeah, quicken like this. I get the number of the devil. And depending on how long you've been waiting and how long it looks like God ain't gonna been doing. God ain't paying attention to you at all. You hurting? Watching every love? Watch her stay on the Hallmark Channel, just looking at love stories all the time. And you was waiting on tall, dark, and handsome. But only short, crusty, and greasy keep showing up. That's right. And all you need is the wrong set of circumstances. All you need is the wrong, all you need, well, I should say, the right set of circumstances. Late for work, rushing, makeup all busted up. Didn't get ready, run. It's raining, hair didn't got rain on. Trying to catch the bush, healed and broken. You walking down like the living dead, trying to get to the bank. And he walk up and he say, girl, you're so fine. Oh, you, I look a mess. Oh, shut your mouth, girl. I fight 10 men for you. I drive you to work. No, no, I don't get in the car with straight. Girl, you better get in this car. You're getting rained on. All you need is the right circumstances to break you down. Because you lonely. And you've been waiting. And manpower was five years ago. And woman out loose was ten years ago. Tapes got dust on them everywhere. 
No more sheets. You can't even find the booklet no more. That stuff wasn't working no way. Because the sheets wasn't never the problem anyway. Sheets don't reach up and grab nobody. <laughs> and suddenly, the red crushed carpet in his car looks luxurious. And the dice in the mirror means he's a player player with the royal crown bag. And that chest and hair look like taco meat, but now it looks like oil of Olay. <laughs> don't look so bad now. And you start thinking, if I could just get his teeth fixed, and if I could just give him a chance, get rid of that jerry curl, I'm going to get the jerry curl out. And <laughs> start, you know how y'all women do, y'all fix up some people. They say, men meet a woman, he said, this is what I've always wanted, never change, and women going to change, because they're always growing and evolving. <laughs> and a woman gets to a man and says, you're going to be perfect, but i got to fix this and change this, and when I get through with you, you're going to be perfect, and they don't know a man is not going to change. <laughs> You don't marry anybody with the hope they're going to become something else. If you can't accept them the way they are, if they don't ever change, then there's no deal. Because they're probably not going to change. How did we get off on that? It's time to go. You don't want to hear this? No way. Because you're going to do what you want to do now, Mr. Stephen. You better call Tyrone. <laughs> well... <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at this. Let me close here. <laughs> Looking at the life of what can we learn from the life of Solomon. First, when you seek God with all your heart, he will be found in you. The Bible says Solomon sought the Lord with all of his heart. He loved him, and the Lord spoke to him in a dream and visited him. Second, those who honor God will be honored by God. And God said to him, because you've asked this and you've not asked for yourself long life or riches or life or the life of your enemies. You ain't tried to hurt nobody because you've asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I will now do according to your word. Behold, I'll give you wise discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you after you. I will give you also what you ask for, both riches and honor, so that no other king will compare with you all the days of your life, because he honored God. You have to remember, when you honor God in excellence in what you do, God's going to honor you. Number three, God will always equip you to accomplish what he calls you to do if you rely on him. We see that in Solomon as he created the temple. Everything he built, he always gave God the honor until he got mixed up with the women. Fourth thing you had to learn from Solomon is life is not life is life is not a sprint or a short race. Life is a marathon. Just because you got a good start don't mean you have a good finish. Just because you start good, you're gonna have to maintain that. It's it's not no short run. You gotta be on for the long haul. You got to understand, Rome is not built for a night. Your spiritual walk is not going to be overnight. You're going to have to grow, be tested. You're going to fail. You're going to lose. But see, the Bible says a wicked man falls one time, never gets up. But a just man falls several times. But the thing that makes him just is he keeps getting back up. Why? Because he doesn't have a false idea about who he is in the first place. Are you listening? Number five. You can win God's blessing and then turn around and violate his word and lose everything. 
He had got everything from God, but he started breaking the commandments. They told him in Deuteronomy, don't you get those foreign women and bring them over here and bring them in your bed. He says, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, it says they're going to turn your heart from God. Exodus 34, 16 said, you take your daughters and your sons, but their daughters whore after gods, and they will make your sons whore after other gods. God said that's what's going to happen. What makes you think you're going to be able to do what God said you shouldn't do, and it's not going to be a result that's negative from it? Are you listening? We learn that from Solomon. The sixth thing you can learn from Solomon is those closest to us affect our spiritual walk. Those that are closest to you affect your spiritual walk. He invited all these women and all their ways of worshiping. The Bible says, don't be deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. The word, the word communication don't mean talking. In the Greek, it means lifestyle. You got somebody who's a stone-cold fornicator, whore, monger, whatever, and you keep on hanging around them all the time. Let them come over and tell you about all the nasty stuff that they're doing, and you listening to it. Why are you waiting on Boaz? Or waiting on Esther, or put the shoe on the other foot. Evil communications corrupt your good manners, your good lifestyle. Just because you know how to act, you got to stay away from people who are going to pull you into things. Because they will corrupt you. Solomon was the wisest of them all. The problem with wisdom, if it's not coupled with humility and meekness, it will bring about destruction. Are you listening? That's why Solomon turned around and said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He ain't talking about being afraid of God. He says honoring and reverencing God first is the beginning of wisdom. That's how wisdom starts is knowing that you don't get it. The seventh thing is, is that you can live a life from you can you can live a life apart from God. Regardless of your education, your goals and the pleasures and the great abundance of wealth, and it will all be meaningless. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes one vanities and vanities. So he wrote, he said, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of all is vanity. He says all of it is going to nothing. At the end of everything, I've had, I've had all the finest women. I've had all the gold, all the cars. I've had everything. At the end of it, I found out that it never fulfilled nothing in me. Why do you think these athletes, they can't be happy with women? They've got to have trannies now. They've got to start doing sex operating because they didn't have everything. And the more you flood your flesh with stimulation, all you do is raise the threshold of pleasure to stuff don't excite you no more. You've got you to keep taking it to the next level. It's what happens. the law that's in your flesh. It's what happens to dope addicts. They get hit and it's overwhelmingly high. And they spend the rest of their life trying to get that high again. And they can't do it because your flesh immediately resists it. You started working out and was doing pretty good. But in your body, you got to keep and start resisting it. Now you got to raise the level of your workout because now your body's resisting it now. you got to change up. That's the law that's in your flesh. I had some, some guy told me, was it some, I was standing somewhere and some guy, he was standing and this gay guy walked back. He was walking and the guy said, man, he, he, said, he said, hey, he said, man, get away from me. He said, don't knock it unless you tried it. And he kept on walking. You don't know what you, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. He said it to the guy, and I was sitting looking like, wow. <laughs> and the guy looked at me, and I said, some things you don't need to know if they're wonderful. Some things you don't need to, you don't need to find out if it's good. <laughs> There's just some things you shouldn't expose yourself to. There's some things you shouldn't let other people expose you to them. Are you listening? You don't want to introduce that to your flesh. 
See, people begin to justify if it feels good, it must be good. That's not true. It could be toxic. It could be killing you. Are you listening? And Solomon comes down to the conclusion of everything after he had failed and he lost the kingdom and the kingdom was destroyed. After he died, he, the, the dream of God's united kingdom was destroyed because one man could not control his lust and passion. He says, wait a minute, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, honor and fear, reverence God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. He said, I'm closing the book and I'm summing up after everything I've gone, done and big enough, I did everything I was big enough to do. I'm summing it up is that the whole end of man is your duty is to fear God and to keep his commandments. There's a book called the book of Siraj. It's written by a rabbi or a scribe named Joshua ben Surah. And it's accepted in the Catholic Bible, in the, in, but it's not in our Bible, but in some of the Orthodox books, Eastern Orthodox churches, it's a part of their Bible. And then it says, in talking of Solomon in Sirach 47, 14, 20, it says, he says, How wise you were when you were young, overflowing with instruction like the Nile in flood. Your understanding covered the whole earth and like the sea filled it with knowledge. Your fame reached distant coasts and you were beloved for your peaceful reign. But you abandoned yourself to women and gave them dominion over your body. You brought a stain upon your glory and shame upon your marriage bed. Wrath upon your descendants and groaning upon your deathbed. Thus two governments came into being. There was a splitting because you couldn't control your flesh. If we're not careful, if if we're not careful, we will perverse the ways of God. Lust and greed and fascination for the world will create these human issues in us and bring about destruction. Are you listening? People's problem is they always think they're smarter than what they really are. And you're not smarter than the devil. Number one, God can use us regardless of our background. Solomon was born in scandal. He was born in an adulterous affair, but God still raised him up. So you should never let your background or where you come from make you think that God can't raise you up to great heights. That's a great lesson we learned from Solomon. We can learn that prayer changes things. Solomon prayed and things changed from it. God is honored by excellence. That's number three. And then number four, true wisdom from God magnifies and glorifies God. When they hear the true wisdom of God, the people begin to glorify the God of Solomon. Are you listening? Number five, it takes great integrity to handle success and prosperity. Second Chronicles 9:22, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. Solomon was not immune from the influence of those he chose to spend his time with. Neither are you. Being supremely wise, God's anointing did not protect him from this. We will become like those who we choose to be close to. There is no escaping this reality. Let us choose wisely those we let be our friends and our influencers. This is the great tragedy that we learn from Solomon. There's an old saying I heard at a Puerto Rican church, show me who you hang around and I'll show you who you are. Because you can't help for it to rub off. I understand when folks tell me I don't hang around nobody because I know. 
Be by yourself. Be solo until you can find some folks that are godly to add to you. Don't be so needy you get to have somebody go somewhere with you all the time. How many folks have I known in the, in, in the, in the hood that have been killed hanging around somebody just to go to the corner store with them? Pray about your relationships. Pray about who you let enter into your life. You have to because if you don't, evil communication lifestyle will corrupt it. And it doesn't matter how wise you are. The anointing of God will not protect you to what you willingly expose yourself to. Are you listening? The enemy wants to see you fail. The enemy wants to see you with all the prophecies and promises you have to not come to pass so he can say, see, God was lying. Ain't nothing to none of that stuff. It's our job to not help the devil out. It's too late for Solomon, <laughs> but it's not too late for you. Stand up on my feet. On your feet, I'm done. Did you enjoy that message tonight?